Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, you know, as we uh, dissect everything that's transpired since the uh, Hamas attack on Israel over the weekend, and you get into all of the cultural responses and the political responses, domestic political responses from the uh, usual suspects in office, uh, the geopolitical analyses from a lot of the usual suspects that the media taps to give you geopolitical analysis. We'll add some other people here who um, have a deeper knowledge of the region, the history, the dynamics than what you normally get on the cable news channels, which is banal and surface skimming at best. But before you even get to all that, especially a few days removed, I think you have to restate what we're talking about restate what actually happened because as everybody's interests collide you have different storylines that develop about what happened characterizing contextualizing what happened rather than just telling you reminding you what happened so that the response is consistent and proportional and morally balanced to what occurred so Barry Weiss, uh, who's you know the founder of the Free Press, former New York Times columnist, she was on uh, MSNBC yesterday, uh, telling stories. But um, one of the things that um, you start with in the stories is a restatement of what occurred, the two sides, if you will. The two sides in what just happened over the past seventy-two hours is the side of rapist, barbaric people who we are now learning beheaded babies, beheaded babies versus innocent people. That is what is going on here. And anyone who is found cheering, celebrating in the streets of London or Paris or Berlin or New York or or Sydney, where they are screaming, gas the Jews, They are not cheering for the liberation of the Palestinian people in Gaza who languish under the jackboot of Hamas. They are cheering for barbarism and bloodshed. And we should be absolutely clear about what is going on here. 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswer line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. And again, just to um, provide some more detail to that crystallization you got from Barry Weiss. 
remember what occurred after the surprise attack, uh, what those attackers, those terrorists did to not combatants, enemy combatants, not another military force, but to civilians they happened upon. This is the biggest massacre of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. But unlike the Holocaust, in which the Germans tried to hide their war crimes, it took the Allies, remember, years to uncover all that the Nazis did. Here we have people streaming it on real time, on TikTok, on live stream, and on Instagram. A message just went out to parents all over the state of Israel, begging them to delete the apps from their children's phones because Hamas has warned that it is going to live stream the execution of hostages and they don't want their children seeing it. And what they have already done, and I tweeted it out, but I had to delete the tweet because I had a lot of crazy Muslim followers. Uh, What they're doing is they're taking these young women, these gorgeous young women in the prime of their life who were kidnapped at the music festival and butchering them raping them so badly that they're bleeding between their legs and putting that out on their own social medias through their cell phones. So yes, delete TikTok right now. Everyone should, because it's not only the children of Israel that are going to see it. It's all over the world. People are going to see this. The barbarism, the, the, the killing of the hostages that they have. Why did you delete a tweet that described what occurred? Oh, I showed it because there's a picture in the Israeli army of this beautiful young woman. Well, why, why, why did because you delete I, the Hamas, tweet? I don't want any of that crap on me. I used to live in Detroit. And I used to have to cover those um, rallies with yeah. Hamas and Hezbollah and the Palestinians, and okay. I'm done. Okay. Well, no, uh, no. I, I just I started getting strange followers, and I deleted, I blocked them, and then I deleted the tweet. Okay. Um, Barry White's telling stories that she got first person talking to people in the aftermath. And um, again, the aftermath is not the aftermath for uh, many families in Israel. Uh, One mother's story. She asked that she remain anonymous because she is so scared that if her name is in public, it will make the lives of her children who are held hostage even worse. She was on the phone with her boys age 12 and 16 as they hid in a safe room on another kibbutz at the south, a few kilometers from Gaza. And she heard her youngest child, 12 years old, begging not to be taken because he said that he is too young. And she wants the world to know that this is not about an occupation. Israel does not occupy Gaza. It has not occupied Gaza since it pulled out almost a decade ago, ruled by Hamas. She said, these are just teenagers like anyone's teenagers i am just a mother like any mother who's watching this um of course there are also acts of heroism as there always are in moments of darkness the world over and uh, some of those stories need to be told too uh for example yaniv sarundi picked up nine people in his car during the invasion of southern israel drove them to an israel israeli uh, military outpost tried to get them help when he saw that Hamas had overrun that outpost, he drove through the gunfire to escape. He was injured by the terrorists, but managed to find a safe spot for everyone in his car to wait until Israeli forces showed up to rescue them two hours later. He died saving these strangers. Other examples. Uh, Amit Mon, 
a 21-year-old paramedic who went to a town near the border with Gaza near the coast during the attack. She spent six hours helping the wounded and hiding from the roaming Hamas forces. She reportedly texted her family. She didn't think she was going to survive, and she told them she loved them. Her last words, they're on me. They shot my legs. You know, paramedics, regular people, concert goers, of course, as we all know by now, the slaughter that occurred at uh, those concert goers. And the power you could see. I mean, the power gliders coming in, too. Uh, it, it, Itali and Hadar Berdachevsky. Italian and Adar lived their 10-month-old twins two miles east of Gaza. When they saw Hamas forces coming toward their house, they hid the two babies and turned, the, turned to fight the terrorists. They were killed, but the kids were found safe 12 hours later by Israeli forces and are currently safe with their grandmother. Um, I, think, um, though, I think that uh, couple who uh, gave their lives to protect their, their babies, yeah. I think that uh, the father of one of them is uh, Professor... Uh, was he a retired professor at Brandeis? Well, one of the stories, and I don't want to conflate the two, but one of the stories was uh, a father who's an academic here at uh, a university on the East Coast, I think it's Brandeis, uh, was telling the story of what happened with his uh, daughter and son-in-law and what they did to save their children. Uh, Elkanah Fetterman. She was at the concert where Hamas mowed down 260 terrified attendees who tried to flee over the open desert. She charged at the Hamas terrorists. Good for her. Uh, Grabbed a rifle from a fallen Israeli security guard at the event, started fighting back. Social media accounts are saying um, uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, he, he, he hit um, a fair number of them, though I have no way, though there's no way to verify how many. Um, but anyway, somebody that uh, uh, took the fight, knowing you know what the odds were as a civilian grabbing a a rifle and charging the invading terrorists. So I mean, just some of the the stories of heroism amid all of this too. To uh, I don't know, uh, remind you to have some faith in humanity, even as uh, one's faith in humanity is shaken when you see the sort of medieval. Uh, barbarism that has been described and continues to be described. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. 
So the big guy, Mr. Tempersan, President Biden, addressed the Hamas attack on Israel we were talking about before Mike Scott's newscast. Four days too late, but all right. Setting the baseline for the larger political and geopolitical discussions. Um, The political and cultural responses are important. So from the leader of the free world, whatever you think about him, that's the responsibility that accompanies the job title president of the United States. And here's what President Biden said yesterday. The brutality of Hamas, these bloodthirstiness brings to mind the worst, the worst rampages of ISIS. This is terrorism. But sadly, for the Jewish people, it's not new. This attack has brought to the surface painful memories and the scars left by a millennia of anti-Semitism and genocide of the Jewish people. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. Mm-hmm. And what does we stand with Israel mean? Well, he what does it look explained like? that in part. We're surging additional military assistance, including ammunition and interceptors to replenish Iron Dome. We're going to make sure that Israel does not run out of these critical assets to defend its cities and its citizens. My administration has consulted closely with Congress throughout this crisis. When Congress returns, we're going to ask them to take urgent action to fund the national security requirements of our critical partners. 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Uh, that's uh, consistent with uh, the rhetoric you heard from the other side, at least the other side in the Senate. Mitch McConnell is up at in the Wall Street Journal the other day uh, in terms of the four steps for the U.S. to help Israel. Uh, first, distinguish between aggressor and victim. There's no both sides here, people that are calling for a ceasefire. Second, provide the specific capabilities and intel support Israel needs to target and destroy Hamas. Third, make America's national defense a priority. Hmm. And uh, finally, Iran. Indications the war was orchestrated with considerable assistance from Tehran. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Well, he didn't mention Iran at all during his brief speech yesterday, that we waited four days for him because he had to work two half days, Dan, on Sunday and Monday. Where we had the prime minister of the UK, he was out there right away, was at a synagogue praying with people right away. I mean, we have 14 Americans killed, many still missing, four that we know of that are being held hostage, and a mom and daughter from Evanston still are unaccounted for. Uh, Leibovitz, I mean, you know, so those are fine words from President Biden, but yeah, then you have to look at the rhetoric, the record, and match it up with the rhetoric, yeah. the rhetoric after the fact. Uh, Lee Leibowitz, Leo Leo Leibowitz, uh, writing in tablet. Hysterics about your political opponents being the enemies of democracy uh, are fun, but there's a price to pay for abandoning the real world and indulging in fetish play. Isn't that what we've done in this country? The bigger mistake on the part of the Israelis is over the past few years, they've gotten the power equation that governs their lives backward. Instead of understanding themselves to be citizens of a strong but beleaguered country whose first responsibility is to protect itself, they luxurated in the fantasy that the United States was and always would be their protector, when in fact the ruling party in America has decided that Israel is a liability. 
the stage for this attack was not set in or by Israel. It was set by the United States, writes Leibowitz. For the better part of the past decade, the United States has pursued a foreign policy designed to strengthen Iran, enable it to form a strong sphere of influence in the region. This is the so-called realignment, a new world order in which America partners with Iran in order to find a more stable balance of power that would make the Middle East less dependent on direct U.S. interference or protection. So uh, Biden's words are belied by his choice for special envoy to Iran, who's been sidelined, but we'll get to that, sidelined before the attack. Robert Malley is this uh, guy's name. You know, your sort of prototypical uh, Ivy League-educated apparatchik. Uh, Think Jake Sullivan with less profile, Jake from the State Department. Here's Robert Malley in 2010 on Hamas. You know, the, 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 the understanding of these terrorist organizations or uh, the characterization of them as more complicated than just being a terrorist organization, this is the point here, is really important. You put these people in positions of policymaking when it comes to uh, national security and, and geopolitical decisions, and then you wake up uh, a decade later after in your third term of of the Obama regime, you wake up a decade later and you have a kind of violence scene uh, in Israel that you haven't seen for decades. Setting the stage, as Leibowitz would argue, setting the stage for what happened over the weekend. Robert Malley, special envoy to Iran. He's the point person negotiating the Iran nuclear deal which is a glide path for a nuclear Iran, the leading state sponsor of terror in the world. And by the way, think about this also in the context of all this. You know, you have to believe people when they tell you who they are, kind of Dr. Phil rhetoric you're hearing across the board. And Hamas's, you know, stated objective is the eradication of the Israeli people. So is Iran's. So is Iran's. And what's the big guy been doing about that? Providing a glide path for nuclearization. Money for hostages that's used to fund terrorist activities. Robert Malley in 2010. Hezbollah and Hamas, the two most prominent groups, although the Sadrists in Iraq also fall in that category. It's a mistake to only think of them in terms of their uh, terrorist violence dimension. Their social political movements, probably the most rooted movements in their respective societies. Hamas, not a majority among Palestinians by any means, but very deeply rooted. It's been, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it was born in the first uh, Palestinian Intifada in the, in the 1980s. It has deep loyalty. It has, it has a charity organization, a social branch. It's not something you can defeat militarily either, and people need to understand that. There's so much misinformation about them. I mean, I, 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 I speak to them, my, and my colleagues speak to them. Now, we may disagree with them, but they have their own rationality. That's the one thing to understand. These are not... None of them are crazies. They may do things that we consider to to belong to a different realm of rationality, but within their own system, it's often very logical. If Hamas is not allowed to govern, if we squeeze them, and, you know, you may have good reason for doing that, but if you do that, we'll tell you what the reaction will be. Rockets, no doubt. And consolidation of Hamas's power in Gaza. Both things have happened. Yeah, they have. And uh, treating Hamas like a like the Lions Club in the Middle East. It's a social organization. It's philanthropic. 
you know, this is like uh, some good work. Larry Krasner, the DA in Philadelphia, talking about uh, criminals who are mostly lawful. We have to distinguish between the real criminals and the mostly lawful. Uh, uh, this is law, law abiding. This is the same thing that Robert Malley does on the international stage. We have to distinguish from real terrorist organizations uh, to, you know, mostly social and philanthropic organizations like Hamas that can be goaded into uh, firing rockets. And he didn't say it, but I'll say committing terrorists. That goaded into. It's really important to understand the approach to these terrorist organizations and the differing approaches uh, within um, our politics. That those kinds uh, of statements, like you heard from Mally there, inform an entire administration's posture towards the leading state sponsor of terror in the world, who no doubt had a significant hand in planning that surprise attack over the weekend. They've been working on it for months, maybe even years. In addition to that, what was the initial response, even from the regime directly, not its sort of behind-the-scenes functionaries like Robert Malley? The initial response was Tony Blinken, the animatronic Secretary of State, to call for a ceasefire. I know. Working with Turkish officials. I mean, we haven't even recovered bodies yet. I mean, it was only yesterday mid-afternoon our time that they found the babies that were beheaded and families that were slaughtered and tied up together in their homes and they're asking for a ceasefire we haven't even gotten the hostages back i mean come on what is wrong it, it, with it, these it's people? it's it's not about getting the hostages back it's what it says about their understanding and their posture towards terrorism that that his statement you know, he's buttoned down. He's all Ivy League educated. Everybody's Ivy League educated. They're so Ivy smart, so brilliant. They're going to be the, the world's great peacemakers, reordering things based on their good intentions, alleged. That, that, that's calling for a ceasefire protects Hamas and guarantees more violence. It makes the two sides morally equivalent, which is why it was so important we started from the baseline, reminding people the baseline here, what we're talking about. The, what Blinken tweeted, and apparently it's the policy of this regime, despite the uh, more fervent rhetoric from the big guy yesterday, feigning moral clarity. It's the same things that Tlaib and uh, Ocasio-Cortez and Omar, the socialist Spice Girls, the anti-Semitic socialist Spice Girls said. The same thing. Ceasefire. By the way, at the state level here, find out if your legislator, your representative is on this list. The uh, release that was sent out earlier this week by a dozen or so Democrat socialist legislators in Illinois, Mm -hmm. their call for de-escalation and peace. I'm sorry to see LaShawn Ford's name on that that list, although friend of the show, but shame on him. He should know better. Anna Stava Murray. Oh, yeah. In Naperville. Hello, Naperville. Hello, Western suburbs. We will not be able to achieve peace when millions of Palestinians are based are denied basic human rights. We urge the U.S. 
and the international community to work toward long-term solutions that end the inequality and the root cause of violence. There we go again. Yeah. Uh, Carol Ammons, LaShawn Ford, Edgar Gonzalez, Norma Hernandez, Lillian Jimenez, Kevin Olacal, Aaron Ortiz, uh, Abdel Nasser Rashid, Anna Strava Murray, Nabella Syed, Senators, Lakeisha Collins, Mike Porfirio, Robert Peters, Rachel Ventura, Karina Villa, Ram uh, Villavalam. These are uh, Hamas apologists. That's what these legislators, right here. You know, uh, geopolitical, let's talk about Iran and let's talk about Hamas and Hezbollah and what the uh, federal what the federal government is doing and what's being said and what Rashida Tlaib said. How about all the Rashida Tlaibs and Ilhan Omar in your general assembly in Illinois? And uh, we can get started with the city council list, too, including your mayor, Brandon Johnson. Rashida Tlaib, as long as our country provides billions in unconditional funding to support the apartheid government, this heartbreaking cycle of violence will continue. That's the same thing that these legislators are saying. sickening this is the fetish oh it's so fun the fetish politics these people are terrorist enablers they're sympathizers does does that they're not sympathizers they're terrorist enablers they're running cover for people who beheaded babies does that start to register about the level of depravity here Raped women on social media, killed them, and and Rashida Tlaib take take down the Palestinian flag. And I love this reporter. We won't place him up, but she chased her down yesterday after you know word spread even from CNN. Yes, it wasn't just Fox News that forty babies were beheaded. What Hamas has done: chopping off babies' heads, burning children alive, raping women in the street. No comment about children's heads being chopped off. Congressman, why do you have a Palestinian flag outside your office if you do not condone what Hamas terrorists have done to Israel? No comment. Uh, yeah. She always inserts herself in everything, and now it's like, mm. that was Fox News' Hillary Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. She, she hides behind statements that she issues and then she ducks the cameras depending on who the camera who's behind the camera what news organization is behind the camera Tom, anybody just come out and say we were wrong and we shouldn't have had a pro-palestinian rally tom in blue island and amy you know dan trump supporters are often referred to as isolationist i want american troops there and 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 they can play second fiddle and just sit back and do what they're you know what? Whatever the protocol is in regard to the Israeli leadership, but that's a legitimate fight. American soldiers were killed. Women were. Uh, I the description of what was done to these women and children. That's where American soldiers should be, not in amorphous wars other places. Uh, I don't know that that's necessary. Thanks for the call, Tom. But he's right. I mean, fourteen Americans dead. Others. Still missing. Jackson Potter. Again, all the faraway lands. How about right here in Chicago and Illinois? You want to 
uh, think globally and act locally, we'll do it right here to the people that are running cover for Hamas. Jackson Potter at Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, Biden's uh, stated support for Israel, as anemic as it is, this is his response. Biden's support for Israel, so your support for Israel, if you have it. We'll be talking to Zudi Jasser at the bottom of the hour, bottom of the next hour, as well as Jonathan Greenberg at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour on this. But Jackson Potter, Chicago Teachers Union. This is a bad signal to Israel to bomb Palestinian civilians with abandon and impunity. It's guaranteed that Palestinian casualties will exceed Israeli casualties within days, if not hours. That's been the overwhelming dynamic of the occupation. So that's one of the educators in Chicago leading the union that has primary responsibility, certainly authority, over the education of 300,000-plus kids. And you wonder why you saw that disgraceful rally, hate-infused rally outside the Israeli embassy earlier in the week for the terrorists in Chicago. You wonder why. Byron Lopez, you know, works for Mayor Johnson, one of the progressives. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. All of the heroes, all of your heroes, all of the the SEIU purple people beaters that finance the Democrat socialist power structure at the state level and the city level, they're all out in force running cover for terrorists, for the butchery that has been described in painful detail over the last 96 hours. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the continued uh, efforts afoot to deal with the repercussions of being a sanctuary city, county, state in Illinois. You know what uh, Governor Jellybelly wants to do? He wants to uh, socialize the self-inflicted problem because that's what we do in Illinois. Chicago taught us all how to do it. Yeah, you got to step up. You got to do your part. You got to help out. 
socialize the problems you create so they become everybody's problems, even though they were instigated by you. So that means Chicago land, not Chicago. A Chicago problem is a Chicago land problem. A Cook County problem is a Chicago land problem, which includes, at minimum, the Collar County. Especially when uh, there's political heat within city proper, and mayor and alder humans want to diffuse some of that heat because it's coming from their base constituents, like in uh, Galewood and that Amundsen Park location to host migrants. Now that's well, allegedly on hold. They didn't win anything. Uh, they didn't win anything. Uh, they get to have their games tonight that they weren't scheduled to have. That's uh, a, a, on hold. You know, a temporary reprieve is not a win. I mean, I guess uh, we, we might as well redefine winning because we redefine anything else, everything else in Chicago. We'll see. Well, he catered to the black community, but then when white people and Hispanics complain, you know, like the Broadway Armory, we get nowhere. But if you piss off the black people, then he'll help you out. That's what I learned. All, we have seven parks now that are filled with migrants. Everybody should have a rally. Everybody should fight back now because they did. The black community did it so beautifully. They were in his face. They spoke directly to him at every press conference, uh, 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 and he catered. Really? South Shore, too? South Shore's off? South Shore, no. that's the, They were one of the is first Hyde, ones is, is, to Hyde, fold. Is, is Hyde Park off? Um, which one? Hyde? So, so no. So, no, it's not, it's not off. And it's not going to be off because what was the plan? Two acres in every ward. Right. Has that changed? So, uh, again, a temporary reprieve in Galewood. Well, let it breathe a little bit. All right. These guys are, you know, operating by the seat of their pants, trying to diffuse political pressure where they can, and then they will return, as they always do. Oh, no, we're fine now. Whoever believes that knows nothing about how the power structure in this city and state operates. Oh, no, we're fine. We had a big rally. We The older, older human got involved. We uh, put the kids out front and center. We got some media coverage. And then they relented for now. Everything's fine. Is it? You really think so? As busloads continue to come into Illinois and into Chicago. Sure, four yesterday. You go ahead and be that Pollyannish. That's what they're counting on. In Joliet, the same thing happened. And um, uh, I this doesn't look like a victory to me either, at least not yet. Joliet Township, remember, they took eight and a half million bucks from Jelly Belly to help socialize the problem that we've all inflicted upon ourselves, by the way. This is a little bit different because the entire state afflicted it, afflicted, uh, 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 socialized this problem voluntarily through a Republican governor who, by the way, let's not forget, Bruce Rauner, who signed the sanctuary state designation. uh, So that and all these legislators who went along all over the place. Your Dem socialists in the suburbs who also double as terrorist enablers we were just talking about. Your Rachel Venturas and your Anna Stavra Murrays. Well done, Western Burbs. Well done, Will County. I, I, the jo- I mean, I, I appreciate Joliet Township's uh, rebellion against bringing migrants into, into their community uh, and what $9 million is going to finance and how this is all going to work and the fact that it was done surreptitiously and now it's being represented dishonestly by the Joliet Township Supervisor and Hal Contreras. You'll hear from in a second. But but, but let's just remember what we've done to ourselves because I don't want to walk past that. 
the policymakers suburban residents have chosen. Like Angel Contreras, like Rachel Ventura. Contreras uh, yesterday at their township meeting discussing the matter. The purpose of this grant was to help our community partners who serve individuals beyond the township, county, and city boundaries. This is a reactive request grant to address current issues. It was not intended to bring more people to our areas. Oh, lies. That's wild. That is just... The grant is specifically for migrants bringing new people to your area. Did we just say, no, 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 this was grant was for, uh, for extension yeah. services, working in collaboration with the social service community. It's laughable. I mean, you just lie to oh your God. face. Because why wouldn't they? <sighs> what political price do they pay in Chicago and Chicagoland? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. And if you were at the meeting last night, we'd love to hear from you. The only time you get some daylight is when you have another Politico call out their fellow Politico. And that happened uh, yesterday, last night, with uh, Joliet Mayor Terry Darcy, who said, mm, not exactly, Mr. Contreras. It's done without our knowledge, and, and we can't sustain the grant as it, it was written. So it's just not tenable. Not tenable is a little mild, but at least you've got some sort of open disagreement that perhaps will make some people question. Wait, uh, so if the mayor doesn't agree with the supervisor, maybe I need to scratch below the surface a little bit and try to figure out what's actually going on here. So, I mean, Pritzker makes this grant money available for the specific purpose of dealing with the migrants being bust here. And Al Hal Criteria just says, no, it's not for that. We took the money, but it's not for that. Then then what's it for? You just heard him. Yeah. No. It's for it's it, to I help want more details. Social service providers uh-huh. um provide, you know, the wraparound services for our community residents. Now oh, everybody yeah. everybody go home okay. and stop paying attention. Tina and Joliet, you're on Chicago's morning answer. Mm. Okay. That was the closest to a Jerry Springer episode I will ever have been <laughs> anywhere near. It was insane. First of all, we, they had to move the location of the meeting. The police had to block off traffic. Oh it was packed, standing room only. There had to have been 300, 350 people there. And um, I, uh, I signed up to speak along with several other um, candidates who are actually running for uh, Republican office. Um, and uh, People, for the most part, I would say everybody was very respectful. They were just mad. And um, the board, of course, they didn't answer any questions. They sat there with their legal counsel. They read statements. um, But really, it it was what they were doing was just letting us vent so that they could turn around and say, well, we let the community say what they had to right, say. Exactly. This this grant, it, it, this will be a travesty. They, they will slap every resident of Juliet in the face if this goes through. That community came out and it was, you know, I would say it was 50-50 black and white. There was, a, you know, a smattering of, of uh, Latinos there who also spoke and are against this. And um, the, what they what I brought up at the meeting when I signed up to spoke, I, cause not everybody's read this grant. They don't realize it's available publicly now. 
the the uh, city for something that's supposed to be temporary and transient, and we're just supposed to help these folks get on their feet. The city or that grant specifies that they want to hire 17 new staff who will also get full taxpayer-funded benefits and pensions. 17. Does that sound temporary to anybody? That's ridiculous. <laughs> and the, one of the missions of the Spanish Community Center, um, they'll be providing paralegals and staff who will help expunge criminal records of asylum seekers so that it doesn't interfere with their their uh, quest to to relocate to America. It's nobody. Is oh, really? So now so now you have you have township government serving as uh, immigration attorneys. Uh, providing free uh, free counsel and uh, uh, to 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 migrants with their asylum applications and and so forth. In addition to, of course, creating more uh, flunky jobs at the township for fiefdom building purposes. Oh, perfect! Absolutely. But he, here's the and, thing. And here's the, here's the thing, Tina. Though I know. I mean, I'll say the same thing about Joliet Township that I said about uh, Gale Wood or South Shore. Oh, Three hundred people. They're ornery. They're upset. They're given their politicians the what for at one meeting. And then yeah. the uh, this is a slap. If this goes forward, this will be a slap in the face to all the residents of Julia Township. I mean, the residents yeah. there, the residents there like to be slapped in the face, just like the residents in almost every other part of the state. Well, let me say this. I I. What also came out in this is, so Will County, we're just, we're a microcosm of Cook County at this point. The corruption runs very deep and they are, there's a whole bunch of CYA happening over here. And, and sure. I had FOIA'd, I FOIA'd the township office and at first I didn't see what I was looking for, but then I found it. There's a woman by the name of Christy McNichol who is, who assist, clearly assisted with this grant. She's a, she was hired by the city of Joliet to, to do grant writing. She was also involved in a no-bid $500,000 contract for the Veterans Affairs Commission, which ended up costing her her job because that money could not be accounted for. The work that was supposed to be produced for that grant was not accounted for. Her, and, and the woman she hired was her buddy. And here she, so she lost that role, got picked up by the city, along with another flunky who got kicked off of the Veterans Board. So these people, fellow is that Chris? Is that the same Christy McNichol that was in uh, Empty Nest with uh, Richard Mulligan? <laughs> no, oh, because I liked her. That's I good win. though. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Not asleep at the wheel. So, 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 I, without getting into all the personnel and the uh, the local corruption, because you know, if you start peeling back those layers, we'll be here all morning in Will County and DuPage County, everywhere. That's the point that people don't want to. A lot of people don't want to confront. What, what do you really think is going to happen in Joliet Township? Do you think? that uh, Contreras and the others that try to slip this past the goalie uh, are now going to uh, relent? Uh, here's what I think. I think this grant will be withdrawn. Uh, I, first of all, it was, he committed fraud on this grant, he, and somebody needs to pursue that. And, but, and we also have the support of the mayor and the, council, the city council. They've come out swinging about this, but... As Mayor Darcy said at the council meeting, um, yes, he'll probably withdraw this, but he'll come back with another one. Exactly. They, you're right. They they won't relent. So we are going to have to um, uh, keep the pressure on them. One more thing. Rachel Ventura. Uh, State Senator. State Senator Rachel Ventura and Hamas supporter. She, w- she snuck into the meeting 
late last night as well. And I, I meant to, I spoke for a few minutes and I meant to call her out and I just, I forgot. But uh, everybody needs to be aware that this woman has posted on social media her unwavering support for Palestine in the, in the hours after tremendous tragedy in Israel. That moron was posting about occupation and, and how pa- the Palestinians are oppressed. That's who she is. We've got to, these people have got to be removed. Thanks for the call, Tina. George Naperville. Yeah, they use this beautiful word, word sanctuary. This, this has to be labeled something else. You know, just like Black Lives Matter. It, it sounds so beautiful, but what it really is is, is horror. Thanks for the call, George. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, peace process in the Middle East. This is what a lot of those uh, who are terrorist enablers or worse are using as part of their cover story for the atrocities that were committed by Hamas against the Israeli people over the weekend. Uh, For example, uh, Abbas, Mahmoud Abbas, Palestinian Authority President, saying that um, Saturday's surprise attack was the Palestinians asserting their right to self-defense. Uh-huh. Hussam Zamlat is the head of the Palestinian diplomatic mission to the UK. He sat down with um, (sighs) Christiane Amanpour on CNN. Painful. But um, it's not what she said or the poor quality of her interviewing skills. It's what he had to say in terms of understanding the storytelling that they do, one, to separate themselves from Hamas. And I understand there are a lot of peaceful Palestinian people. They want no part of Hamas. I I get it. But there are all these, um, these essentially political officials who wink and nod with one another on the terrorist activities of Hamas and others. We've seen this before, particularly as it pertains to Israel. So here's what um, Mr. Zumlot had to say about how we got to that day Saturday. Doesn't condone it, but he tries very hard to contextualize it in a way that sounds sort of like condoning it. Let's bring in Hussam Zomlot now. He's head of the Palestinian mission to the UK. Welcome to the program. First and foremost, do you condemn what Hamas did inside Israel to Israeli civilians? There are dead and there are hostages. 
First and foremost, the Western media must really abandon this framework that has gotten us to where we are today. Okay, but I just want to know, it do is, you support is, the is, killing of civilians? Is, of course is, not, of course okay. not, of course not. So do you condemn not. that? This, uh, the loss of civilian life is tragic in all sides. And what is happening is extremely worrying and very tragic. And uh, as we speak, the loss of lives... You've counted 70 Israeli deaths. There is more than 200 Palestinian deaths so far, more than 1,600. Entire, entire residential compounds are being wiped out. This is a war crime committed by Israel. What is more tragic or equally tragic is the blindness and the deafness of the world and the international community for so many years. Of the warnings, we have been saying that this was coming. Israel knew that this was coming their, their, their way. We, the National Movement of Palestine, the PLO, have found a different path 30 years ago. We have committed to what the world asks us, recognize Israel, commit to negotiations and nonviolence, and to international legitimacy and resolution. Israel was expected to do one thing only, roll back its occupation, stop its colonial settlement expansion. Not one day it did so, killing the, prospect, the prospects of a two-state solution. Uh-huh. Uh, making morally equivalent the terrorist attacks to the response to the terrorist attacks, you see. Um, also, just in case there's any doubt that that's what he's doing, listen to this statement. There's a war, you see. We're having this conversation because Israelis have seen what they have seen today, but my people see this every day, every single day. Palestinians are targeted, killed, arrested, rounded. Their land is confiscated. Their holy places are desecrated. Not only Muslims, but Christians. You have been following what is happening in the Al-Aqsa Mosque and in our uh, uh, Christian uh, churches, the spitting on uh, Christian worshippers. Our people have been seeing apartheid being enforced on them over the last years, and the land is being taken, and the hope for a political solution that will fulfill their rights dissipating. And therefore, this is what we need to discuss. Really, it's happening to the Palestinians every day, and uh, people. We are, see video of it. I pe- mean, they, pe- they put up war crimes all over social media. People are it. ignoring the beheading of children at the hands of Israelis. Really, hmm. um, Eugene uh, Konarovich is a law professor, at George Mason University. False doctrines of international law have given the terror group Moss. An insurance policy. No matter what atrocities they commit against Israel, they will come out of any conflict with no less territory than before. They may lose men, but they gain gruesome honor. Hamas's war aim isn't to minimize its own casualties, but to drive out the Jews. To defeat and discredit its leadership, the Palestinians must pay a permanent territorial price, he argues. Israel is fighting the clearest possible war of self-defense. Its 1967 capture of the Golan Heights buffer zone was legitimate and humiliated the regime of Hafez al-Assad, Israel has every right to annex buffer zones in Gaza permanently after abdicating more than a decade ago. For more on this, please to be joined by Dr. Zudi Jasser, president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement, former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander, and he's a medical doctor, which is why we're calling Dr. Jasser, He's also the author of A Battle for the Soul of Islam. Dr. Jasser, it's been a minute. Good to talk to you again. It's great. Good to you, And uh, unfortunate in this uh, horrific situation, but uh, thanks for having me. So um, the um, what was your reaction to what um, Mr. Zumlot, the uh, head of the Palestinian diplomatic mission to the U.K., 
had to say about what transpired over the weekend and and the larger context of the ongoing conflict between Palestinians and Israelis. I mean, not only is is his uh, response pathetic, you have to understand that it's clear from his response that he is actually uh, relishing the attention that his uh, movement is getting now as a result. If anything, uh, he's not only supporting Hamas, uh, but supporting these acts of uh, terror, the the horrific uh, aggression that Hamas did against innocent civilians. And uh, uh, the bottom line is, is that they are relishing in this. Uh, they, the, this war of aggression is intentional to get uh, sort of their nihilistic uh, approach of the Islamists and whether, you know, there's two factions in the Palestinian movement that are radical. One is the Islamist that works with the global jihadis from Iran to the Muslim Brotherhood to uh, the Shia militias now that are speaking with them. And the other is the Palestinianists, if you will, the, the national fascists of the Palestinian movement that are anti-Semitic, just like any Arabist, like Assad, Saddam Hussein were. Those are not necessarily jihadists, but they work hand in hand with them, and they will do anything and sacrifice their own people in order to promote their own form of fascism, which is Palestinianism. So the, the their people are fodder for that. And I have to tell you, one of them, I, I can't tell you how much disappointment there is. I look at the U.S. Coalition Council of Muslim Organizations based out of Chicago and Washington, which is a, a leadership organization of Muslim groups, put out a press release three days ago as the war of Hamas against Israel was slaughtering Jewish citizens in Israel, saying that they have sympathy for the Palestinian movement, said nothing about the terrorists, nothing about what that's actually doing to Palestinians. So you, now we have, we're seeing overt support of Hamas by mosques across the country under the rubric of the Muslim Brotherhood movement of the U.S. Council of Muslim Organizations, and it's just pathetic. The moral injustice in their stance is embarrassment to our faith, embarrassment to America, and it's really a vacuum that the Biden administration created by emboldening the likes of Ilhan Omar and uh, uh, the... You know, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement yesterday come out uh, very much supporting. They called the Hamas Act an act of self-defense. And so you see this coalition globally of the red-green axis of the Marxists and the Islamists from Chicago to Pakistan working together now against Israel as we sort of stand back and, and Biden in his basement watching the, the match he lit cause a war in the Middle East. Um, you know, just a little bit of a backgrounder, um, because this may be confusing to some people that don't have uh, the knowledge on the topic that you have. Um, so, you know, all this talk about Iran uh, providing uh, planning and resources for this uh, terrorist attack committed by Hamas. But people say, well, wait a second, um, Dr. Jasser, uh, Iran is Shia and Hamas is Sunni. I thought these uh, uh, sects were in opposition to one another? Yeah, that's a great question. The bottom line is is that within the Islamic faith, there's a, a global political movement in which the, the Islamists uh, seek to create Islamic states, where the Quran is the constitution. It's a theocracy. So when the Muslim Brotherhood took over Egypt, those were Sunnis, but they wanted to have the Quran be the constitution and the theocrats, the men in beards, create a, a draconian theocratic state, which is what happened for a year and a half. The Khomeinists in Iran are Shia, but they have that same flavor. Call it Pepsi versus Coke of jihadism. It's two different flavors or, or sects, 
but they ultimately want the same thing, which is a theocratic state. Turkey is run by Erdogan. His party is a theocratic movement, so it has taken over Turkey, no longer a democracy, but an Islamist movement. So that stands in difference to the Saudi Arabias of the world, the uh, uh, you know military dictatorships of Atisi in Egypt, which are secular dictatorships, but use sort of, they dabble in Islamic law to sort of appease these Islamic movements. So uh, bottom line is, is they were, sometimes they can be at each other's throats, and other times they create common enemies, especially what Iran or Muslim Brotherhood called the Great Satan, which is America, and the Little Satan, which is uh, Israel. But at the end of the day, this is why we need to stand for truth. This is why American Muslims need to lead sort of the, the moral clarity. And unfortunately, the vast majority of organizations speaking on behalf of our faith are Hamas, ISIS apologists, rather than actually standing with moral clarity. Well, there's, you know, obviously the Gaza Strip is under siege and the, the civilians, the Palestinians want to escape and get out. But why isn't Egypt letting them come into their country? <laughs> this is this is the uh, question of why uh, every war that happens, uh, you find the reality. And by the way, why did this start right now? It's not just about the Palestinians and about Hamas and their jihadism, it's about the uh, accords that were starting to normalize relations with Israel, with the Saudis, with Bahrain, with the Emirates. This is what they wanted to derail and stop and bring attention, uh, regardless of how violent it is to the plight of the Palestinians. So they do not want this peace accords. And uh, um, at the end of the day, it's the dictatorships in Egypt and in Saudi, they don't want to take care of the Palestinians. It's not about human rights to them. It's about transactional improvement. It's about um, maintaining their own control and power. So this is why, yes, the Abraham Accords were steps forward, but internally these countries are not about human rights, and that's why we have to be the beacon of hope and stand with our ally, the only democracy in the Middle East, which is Israel, because we have a, a society that not only supposedly preaches liberty abroad, but enacts it domestically. Well, so then, um, what impact do you think this will have on the rapprochement between Israel and the Saudis, which, as you say, Iran and Iran and Hamas are trying to derail? Well, I, I think in the short term, that's going to be completely on hold and nothing's going to advance. The Saudis' initial that, comment was yeah. uh, embarrassingly anemic. Well, that's so, so. What you've seen, sort of, is the, uh, the 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 Arab world rally around Hamas, or at least be apologists for them, haven't you? Not they have, but you know, gosh, I mean, I, this is such a low standard. If you compare its response to the response uh, of every other war the the Islamists have started, this is probably the most anemic uh, ever. So, mm. you know, I do think that they're losing a lot of. Uh, the street cred that they had, and that's why you're finding uh, the the radical apologetics that are happening now increasing, and uh, they're they're taking the friends where they can, whether it's uh, Marxists or whatever, because their old friends, the Arab Axis, the Gulf Axis, is far more quiet. They're not sending right now. The financing of Hamas is coming from Qatar, Turkey, and Iran. That's it. The Saudis have not been funding them. Uh, and so regardless of the words, Hamas knows, the Palestinian radicals know that are running that place, that 
they're not getting the financial support, and they can't continue this type of war long without continued fuel with arms and you know a lot of the you know wow. the billion dollar six billion dollar ransom that the Biden administration paid for hostages in Iran. Well, that's was ultimately fueling this. Yeah, that's where I was just going to go. Uh, I, well, they have the United States indirectly financing them right now from between weapons uh, from the Afghanistan withdrawal that were left behind to the uh, cash for hostages. So. so I suppose they don't need the Saudis at this point, at least with this administration. Exactly. And that's why, you know, as this unfolds, the Abraham Accords, at least the, the countries that began to have the rapprochement and, and, and peace with uh, normalizing relations with Israel will probably move forward. But the Biden administration wouldn't even use the word Abraham Accords because they were so obsessed pathologically with being anti-Trump that they wouldn't even use those words. And Hamas saw that as a green light because not only were they seeing billions going to Iran that was giving them the, the fuel to set up uh, the missiles and, and ability to breach the, the wall and other things that they did in the surprise attack this weekend, uh, but they realized that that same government would not fight a war with Israel, would not stand with its ally because it created this situation. And they said, get this done uh, because the administration may change next November and uh, uh, and this is exactly why Israel is suffering right now. And to, to see the Biden administration say we stand by our ally, you know, we're not idiots. We know that the the complete implosion of the Middle East is because of uh, the, the 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 absence, the appeasement that this administration has done in what used to be an American strength across the world, right by peace through strength. He is Dr. Zudi Jasser, president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement. He's a former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander and author of the book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam. Dr. Jasser, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, The Cuomos have Chris. They're Fredo. And uh, the uh, Hillbillies from Wilmington, Delaware... It's a lot of competition here, but uh, I'm going to go with Frank. Uh, at least you're Frank terms, guy, huh? In terms of the brothers, uh, yeah. Fredo, Fredo Biden, uh, Frank Biden. I, I know it was so many serious things to talk about, but this is uh, really entertaining. So, uh, Joe Biden's younger brother Frank admits naked selfie on guys with iPhones gay dating site is genuine. But he said my phone must have been hacked. Uh, he said that, and then he said, I have absolutely no comment. I could I could care less. I think he meant to say I couldn't care, care less. less. But, you know, that's why he's afraid of Biden. I haven't looked at it uh, and saying they must have hacked my phone. But, uh, boy, I'll tell you, maybe a little, uh, maybe a, a Hunter and Frank could get in on a gay dating site yeah. or something. Uh-huh. They really like to show their bodies and their junk. While they're in the bathroom with the toilet seat up, I noticed a pattern here. Yeah, before we get too too far along on this, though, to me, I I looked at this. Yes. And 
it looks like it has all the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. And I'm just Did waiting for a laptop. I'm waiting for Mike Morrell and Jim Clapper to come out and say say as much. So just so you're scoring at home, uh, Hunter's laptop isn't real. Right. Frank's phone got hacked. And Joe's Corvette is like Christine and stole those classified documents. Those are your Wilmington, Delaware hillbillies. The first family, don't you know? Yeah, one of the uh, Biden's going to go meet their seventh grandchild. Remember, they made that big announcement. But nothing yet. Nothing in the books. Uh, in uh, other news related to Biden, Inc., uh, Jim Comer, head of the House Oversight Committee, let's get the speaker vote uh, done today. A uh, new speaker installed, uh, or the old speaker, I'm sort of uh, indifferent, frankly, uh, and get back to work here because this is going to need to get public profile to penetrate the consciousness of the country. And that means the impeachment inquiry leads to an actual impeachment proceeding. Anyway, uh, Representative Jim Comer, Joe Biden's VP office emailed with his son Hunter and his brother Jim, who we have not seen shirtless yet, but hopefully at some point we will. Uh, emailed emailed his son Hunter, his brother Jim, and both of their businesses more than 29,000 times. So when he said there was an absolute wall between his work as an elected official and his family's business, uh, this just in, real shock, he was lying. For more on uh, Biden, Inc., we're pleased to be joined by Alex Marlowe. He's editor-in-chief of Breitbart News and New York Times bestselling author of Breaking the News. He's got a new book. I see what he's doing here. I see a breaking series developing. Breaking the News, his first book, Breaking Biden, his new book, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family, and His Administration. Alex Marlowe, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, it's great to be on with you guys. Thank you for having me. So um, what is your uh, review of what Jim Comer, the Jims have done? Jim Comer and Jim Jordan mainly. Throw Jason Smith in there as well. Uh, So far uh, after this uh, impeachment inquiry formally was announced, even though it had been functionally ongoing for some time, you know, are we getting to the core of this uh, influence peddling operation, gay dating operation and every other operation affiliated with the Biden family? No, guys, I just heard from Tony Blinken, and I will tell you that this is 100% a Russian disinformation campaign. There you go. Don't don't take the fact that Frank himself basically suggested these pics are real. Uh, Why didn't he just say they're AI? I mean, you can do that now, and no one would know know the better. I mean, that's what I'm going to do. So if anyone (laughs) pictures of me online, it's just going to be, no, it's just AI. It's a, no, I don't have a nine-pack like Frank does. <laughs> Frank spends a lot of time in the gym, I will tell you that. He loves his body. I mean, these these people take naked selfies all the time as if they're, like, obsessed They're voyeurs. They're, they're, they're voyeurs. They, they enjoy it. Um, one of the things when I was researching the book, and then I will answer your question, of course, um, um, one of the creepiest moments of Joe Biden's life actually occurred about 50 years ago. He did this interview for the Washingtonian magazine with a young blonde reporter named Kitty Kelly, and he oh. described in, in, in vivid, vivid detail uh, sex with his recently deceased wife. It's the most perverted thing you've ever seen, that he felt the need to try to impress this young journalist by talking about he, how he would be able to satisfy his wife after getting home from the campaign. Uh, there's no sane human being who would ever speak like this in private, and he speaks to a journalist this way. Um, it actually— and, and by the way, that's Kitty Kelly, like of uh, Oprah Winfrey, Bush family, uh, Jackie Onassis fame, right? Yes, and she's 
she's a young, cute blonde at the time, and Joe's trying to impress her. There's no doubt about it. That's what he's doing. And he's trying to win her over by uh, talking about how he had such a deep connection with his millionaire wife, uh, who was not a millionaire. Her parents owned a diner, a person named Nelia Hunter, his first wife, uh, that he would, no matter what, he could still satisfy her when he got home from the campaign. It was just, it was such braggadocio. It was so disgusting. Uh, One of the few moments of researching Joe for over a year where I kind of liked him, uh, he admitted after after he got he got uh, the, the fallout from the interview, which was incredibly negative. Uh, he actually, Kitty Kelly could barely stand the heat. He gave her a hug and he muttered to himself, "I'm such a sucker." And I like that because he is a sucker. Like no one would ever say that out loud. Um, but it's, no, they're, they're 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 voyeurs. They want to be naked in front of the public. Um, <laughs> to, 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 to go back to your question. To go back to your question. Uh, it's, I, I can't believe how much I had to write about the penis of a first family. <laughs> The penis of a what? Of a member of the first family. Yeah. I'm getting off track again, but just thinking about Hunter again. Like, why did I have to write about Hunter's penis? Well, what, what in my life brought me to that moment? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. It it's a real commentary on where we are. But where I, we I just are. don't understand why he's not in jail. If you open up the laptop, there's, I mean, he's committing crimes and recording them with prostitutes doing drugs. Yeah, he should be. Well, and I, I think Joe should be in jail for the Burisma example. I mean, there's not – it's an open and shut case of bribery. Um, he – Hunter gets a million-dollar job, and they, the company is one request, get this prosecutor fired. Our own State Department says the prosecutor is doing a good job. Joe fires the prosecutor anyway. I mean, there's clear bribery. It's a U.S. policy changed materially because Hunter was getting paid, and Joe did it. But I mean, he, it's, it's it, patently illegal. Just the thing on this, maybe you can clear this up because I, I go back to what Devin Archer said in the interview he did with Tucker Carlson, where yeah. his his impression of we've got uh, a show can taken care of the prosecutor. Yeah. He's, he's taking care of his impression was not that he was going to be fired, but that they've essentially paid him off in some material way that he's not going to be a problem anymore. He's good there and he's not going to be a problem anymore. And then when he got fired, Archer's reaction was like, well, essentially, well, that that's not a positive development that brings too much attention. So was it was the was the overt act firing him or was that uh, Joe freelancing or messing things up? You know, I don't it's unclear to me based on what Devin Archer said. Yeah, the the overt act, I would say, is is the firing because there was no reason to fire him based off of his performance and Joe demanded that he was fired. Even our own State Department acknowledged, and this is Barack Obama's State Department, that there was no reason to fire the person based, choking based on how he was doing um, in his job. So that Joe Biden demanded it, which we now have on tape because he bragged about it to the Council on Foreign Relations in that infamous video that I'm sure you guys have played on the show. Uh, it's the that that is American policy changing. And the only logical explanation is that it, it, it benefits the family that was getting a million bucks a year. So bribery can include other family members. It doesn't just have to be the individual who carried out the act within our government. So it clearly that violates bribery statutes. He should be in jail. Our DOJ should have investigated it. Uh, and so, so to come back to your very important question, 
I generally run negative on some of these investigations. Um, the Bidens have gotten away with things for 50 years, and I document some in the book. Uh, I don't think Joe's first Senate race was legitimate. I get into that yeah. uh, in, in my research. His first Senate race, he was 29 years old that he won, I don't think was legit. The Teamsters. The Teamsters shut down the uh, uh, the the uh, other side's advertising, right? This was in that uh, book, exactly. I Paint Houses. That's exactly right. So Frank Sheeran, who people probably know from the movie The Irishman, uh, was uh, – it appears – and I don't have hard and fast evidence on this, but the constellation of facts suggests that Frank Sheeran from The Irishman – I heard you paint houses uh, – got involved and made sure that these ads that were against Joe Biden did not run in the papers. So uh, that, that's a rigged race, and Joe Biden probably would never have been senator if not for that. So uh, it's the it, 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 I'm just saying that that's where you start there. Yeah. And then he for 50 years he got away with everything. So uh, so I'm very cynical that the government is ever going to hold this family accountable. Um, they notice how they finally hauled in Hunter, and it's for the one thing that Joe has nothing to do with the gun charge. It's the one thing where Joe's not connected. Right. Every other thing he's done is connected to Joe. This is the one he's not. They finally haul him in for this. We think we're going to get a guilty plea. We don't even get that. So that said. All that negativity aside, um, I do think we are getting some of these specific dollar amounts on some of these foreign deals. And uh, having uh, lived inside of Joe Biden's head and trying to understand their business uh, apparatus over the last year, year plus, um, I, one of my main frustrations, not the main frustration, is I have no ability to put the exact dollar amount on most of these transactions because they're clever enough to hide them, and without federal subpoena power, I can't get those answers. So when you're starting to see exact dollar amounts come out, that makes me think these guys know what they're doing and that we can be optimistic. Um, but ultimately, we've got to get to the point and I understand you know, interviewing all the second-tier characters first, but you've got to get to the point where first Hunter, but really James and Frank as well, they have just as many deals as Hunter. Uh, the the, uh, the uh, two Fredos, there's two Fredos actually in the uh, <laughs> Biden family. Um, and then hopefully Joe himself, they're going to have to come out and answer the questions what they did for these companies where they bagged all this cash. They're not going to have good answers, and I think when they do, this whole country is going to start understanding the truth. Yeah, well, that's that's hopefully uh, where we get to. No question. By the way, just in your this is sort of an aside, and this is a little bit gossipy. I'm, I'm going a little bit Kitty Kelly here, but um, did did you come across you know looking back at his 50 years of uh, of uh, disreputable conduct? There was always this rumor inside the Beltway that him, Chris Dodd, and Teddy Kennedy were like the uh, the three amigos or the three Stooges, as the case may be, carousing. Uh, in D.C. Is there do you know anything about that? Yeah, I, I didn't come across anything that where I could advance that story. Um, of course, it came up. Um, I, I tried to bring stuff up that I where I could advance the ball a little bit and add new information or connect new dots. Um, but those stories are out there. And, and g- given the point about uh, voyeurism, uh, I wouldn't dismiss anything. A lot of the things where there's a lot of smoke. Uh, the more you get to know Joe Biden, the more you expect that there that there is fire, uh, and that's one thing that when you get in, most human beings, I find I find human beings interesting as a journalist. I, I, it's hard to do journalism if you don't if you're not wired that way. I, I'm kind of hoping I'm going to find something I like about various people. There's always nothing likable about the Bidens. Uh, they, they're bad people. Uh, Joe Biden's a bad guy. He just is. Uh, you mentioned the Navy Joan. Uh, he's, he's a deadbeat grandpa. Um, there's a story in the book about Frank where Frank 
uh, was involved in a hit-and-run car accident, left the scene, and then avoided paying the surviving daughters of the guy that he and this other guy ran over in their car. So, And Joe helped him cover it up. Now, Joe lost his wife and daughter in a car crash. You would think Joe would want to be empathetic here. He's not. He helps his brother hide like a coward. Well, he also, he also too, I mean, just Joe the Fabulous, which is a book in and of itself, but he also lied about the uh, context of the, the terrible accident that took his first wife and his daughter. He, he said that the guy was drunk, and he wasn't. He was a truck driver, not a drunk driver. It, it's so maddening, it makes you want to spit when you read this story, that it wasn't enough for him to get the entire country's sympathy, which he did. The whole country wept for him when his wife and daughter died. And he's this young guy, kind of handsome, kind of charismatic, coming in the Senate. He has his tragedy. The whole country's weeping for him. It wasn't enough for him. He had to lie about it. He had to lie and say that the driver was a drunk driver. Uh, it wasn't his fault. His wife was not driving safely. It, it, I don't mean to criticize her, but she wasn't. Uh-huh. And he wasn't drunk. And Joe lied about it for years. Which is just such an easy thing to, to fact check if the D.C. press corps, the Dem Com Shop, had any interest because if he was drunk and uh, and and that was uh, identified at the scene, then then he would have been prosecuted for vehicular manslaughter, which of course he wasn't. Exactly right. And uh, finally, you know, like twenty years later, maybe thirty years later, they they uh, finally there was some effort to clear the guy's name, and they did. Um, but it, come on, he gets away with thirty years of lying. He, he really. I mean, I think that is the the summation on them. We've we've talked about it a lot on the show. This Scranton Joe, and he's just sort of an amiable dunce, and now he's sort of a senile, amiable dunce, and he's not. These are bad people, up and down the roster, bad people. He, he, he lived in a ballroom. Uh, with a, I'm sorry, he didn't live in a ballroom. He lived in a 10,000-square-foot house. It was a DuPont mansion, and it had a ballroom in it. He, he's, not, he's not Scranton Joe, Lunch, lunch Bucket Joe. It's all BS. Uh, he lived a, a life of luxury, and he did it off of dirty deals and his family member cashing in. And I, I, his family did deals, and I think I counted north of half a dozen countries where they had deals they shouldn't have gotten. All of these should be explained as these investigations play out. But I will say uh, one of the things that I, I, I really want to share with your audience is that I did try to write this book to empower we the people. Uh, I think he's beatable, and I think if we underestimate him, he's going to win again. Mm-hmm. But if we take him seriously as the threat to our republic that he is, and to understand he's not a dumb guy, he's always said dumb stuff, but he's not a dumb guy. He's built a huge apparatus, and it's getting bigger. And if we get fired up, then we don't need to wait for the investigations to conclude. There's enough material in the book that people – if it, it gets internalized by the American public, he's going to lose. So if we can get the word out and we can get excited to go vote this guy out in 13 months, I think it's going to happen. He is Alex Marlowe. He's the editor-in-chief of Breitbart and uh, his new book, Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family and His Administration. Breaking Biden by Alex Marlowe from Breitbart. Alex, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book. You guys are so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It uh, took uh, the big guy, Mr. 10%, President Biden, uh, four days in, in conjunction with his team, 
to figure out where they were on the Hamas terrorist attack against uh, Israel, the massacre that was committed at the hands of this terrorist organization called Hamas uh, in the Gaza uh, over the weekend, as we all know. Uh, they started out with uh, Blinken saying we need to cease fire. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure Rob Malley was somewhere, the special envoy to Iran, somewhere in the mix. Uh, took a while uh, to get to we stand with Israel, which is what the big guy said yesterday. But the problem is uh, the Biden administration and the Obama administration before Biden, Joe Obama terms one and two, uh, they spent a lot of time standing with Iran, and they're having a difficult time explaining that. A good example of this yesterday, uh, NSC spokesman John Kirby, who continues to disgrace himself every time he has to flack for this regime, uh, and Brett Baer going back and forth on the enforcement of sanctions against Iran, which, uh, based on their oil exports, haven't really been happening. The enforcement has not really been happening. Uh, and uh, the $6 billion in cash for hostages that was reportedly in part used to help Hamas plan this sneak attack. Here's that exchange. There's a lot of talk about the $6 billion and the American hostage exchange. I heard you also say that it can be frozen at any time. Why isn't this the time to freeze that? Uh, I don't have any policy decisions with respect to that to, to speak to you today, Brett. Uh, the, I, I think it's important for people to remember that not a single dinar uh, of, that fun, of those funds has gone into Iran. Not one. Not, not any. No, nothing's been allocated out of that fund yeah John, uh, and we're going to watch this block money's fungible you get six billion dollars over here for humanitarian and food so then you can move money someplace else and then you have the the not enforcing sanctions that allows iran to cash in on its its oil around the world brett i brett with all due respect i just got to push back on you there we, it's not that we're not enforcing sanctions we have been enforcing them as a matter of fact we've added sanctions we've we've sanctioned 400 entities in iran just in the beginning of this administration let alone the sanctions that came before us. And as for the fungibility, uh, again, that money was never going to be tapped by the Iranian regime. They were never going to see it themselves. It was always going to go to vendors that we approved huh. to go to buy humanitarian assistance and me medical and food to get to the directly to the Iranian people. They, the regime was never going to see that or feel that. And they haven't asked for it. And the other thing I'll say, Brad, just before we get off this topic. No, is, no, John, I want to just push back like, on, on one thing. You said that the sanctions are being uh, enforced. The Iranian exports of oil Oil to China, 2020, 6.6 billion. 2021, 23.1 billion. 2022, 30 billion dollars. So, how is that enforcing the sanctions on Iran? We're mindful that uh, Iranian oil is still on the market, and it is a global market. That, I mean, uh, that's the, a lot the, of money, supply, right? Supply and demand have to be balanced. But I'm telling you that, that we are enforcing the sanctions, and we're adding sanctions to the to the regime. Supply oh, and yeah. demand have to be balanced. What a statement. Uh, one way to balance supply and demand is to drill domestically, explore for fossil fuels domestically, so you're not going with your tin cup to dictators in Venezuela, Russia, so you're not reliant and on foreign Iran. Oil. And by the way, the other matter with, uh, oh, with the $6 billion, it was going to go to social service providers and charitable organizations. Uh, John, do you know how things work in a totalitarian state? I mean, are you serious? You're not going to give them money and then tell them how to spend it, you idiots. I mean, my God. Uh, for more on this and other matters, Jonathan Greenberg, former Midwest political director at the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. He's a writer on Jewish issues and Middle East policy. An ordained rabbi 
and advisor to a private charitable family foundation now, uh, Jonathan, a uh, longtime friend, also uh, ran for state legislature here in Illinois before he wised up. Uh, and, um, yeah, another another choice that, that Illinoisans could have made in addition to all of these yeah. uh, members of the Hamas caucus that issued this joint statement, like Tony Blinken, calling for a de-escalation and uh, criticizing Israel, talking about Palestinians being denied basic human rights and so on and so forth, to rationalize a terrorist massacre over the weekend. More than a dozen Illinois state legislators, all Dem socialists, of course, and many in the suburbs, not just the city. Amazing. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate it. Yeah, it included the two guys just who uh, represent Skokie, of all places. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, see, you know, yeah. the, I want to get to, you know, I want to get to the cultural response to this, too, because of the sort of the, the feigned surprise from men and women of the left who are pantomiming support for Israel. But before we get there, uh, what Jonathan Kirby had to say about the regime's posture towards the regime in Tehran uh, and, and what's been going on for the last decade leading up to this, I, I just um, go back to this piece I mentioned before. Leah Leibovitz writing over a tablet, uh, he, he wrote this. The stage for this attack was not set in or by Israel. It was set by the United States, and he basically is suggesting it was set by the policy of the Obama years and um, special envoys like Robert Malley, the lead negotiator for the Iran nuclear deal, taking a posture towards Iran that compromised Israel's security. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been very critical of both the Obama administration and the Biden administration policy on Iran, policy on uh, Israel vis-a-vis the Palestinians. Um, and I think there's a, a time for, for this coming. There's, there's going to be a time for a, a serious investigation of what went wrong in Israeli and American intelligence that nobody saw this coming. Um, and I, I know for a fact that nobody saw this coming because uh, my 19-year-old niece was stationed at a, a base in, uh, outside the Gaza border um, after four weeks of being a soldier, that she had no business being there. The, the Israelis clearly put her there because they had no idea something was coming. She's safe, thank God. But um, I, I am uh, consumed right now with uh, 1,200 dead Israelis as of this morning, uh, at least 150, possibly more, of my brothers and sisters in captivity in Gaza in conditions I don't even want to think about. Uh, and the time for all of this stuff will come, and it will come. Uh, but uh, there are more immediate concerns right now. And, and uh, the biggest thing I want to beg your listeners to do is call your members of Congress, call our senators. I don't care if you like them or not. Try to be nice on the phone uh, and ask them to tell the Biden administration to continue to give Israel time to do whatever it has to do. The only thing that's going to stop Israel from, from doing what it needs to do is international pressure. And the only people that can take that international pressure off are the Americans. All we have to do is veto anything that comes up to the Security Council. Make sure that the international community gives Israel time to do what it needs to do. We don't need any other, really any other American assistance. Just that. Please call members of Congress and senators and ask them to give Israel time. Okay. That's fair. That is yeah. fair. Um, the hostages of uh, 50 families have been notified that their loved ones are being held hostage by Hamas. Um, four of them that we know so far are Americans. We know that a mom and daughter are still unaccounted for that are from Evanston. Is What is the plan to try and get them out of there, and is there hope that we can get them back alive? So the uh, the hostage situation is especially cruel because, and this has been covered in the uh, Israeli press. I haven't seen it in the American press yet. 
hostage takers are, are using the cell phones of the people they've captured to call parents. They, they look up mom or dad in the cell phone and right. then they make these taunting, awful phone calls. Um, and the, the whole point of this is psychological torture against Israelis. We were warned um, by the uh, institutions of the Jewish community, including our children's schools, to make sure we restrict social media access to our kids because Hamas is going to begin posting execution and torture videos uh, of the hostages. And so we've, we've had to restrict what our kids are able to see over the course of the next several weeks, probably. In terms of getting them back, honestly, I, I, the, um, what I hear is that uh, the hostages will not be taken into consideration in conducting military operations. And as awful as that sounds, um, it really is necessary. The goal of this military operation, unlike other military operations, every other military operation against Hamas in the last 10 or 15 years has been conducted to achieve some kind of a quiet, some kind of a status quo. That's not what this is. This is a war of eradication. These are people, there, there is no peace to be had with these people. There is only time to be bought. And in that time, the enemy grows stronger. And the eventual war of eradication you're going to have to fight uh, gets harder and, and you know, more Israeli boys will die. So finally, it looks like Israel uh, has been hit hard enough that they're going to uh, go after Hamas uh, root and branch, and um, which is why I say they need the time to do it. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a long time. But I think that if you're doing that with one arm tied behind your back because you're constantly concerned about where the hostages are, you're going to uh, you're going to hamper yourself militarily. And I think the Israeli army is going to conduct this without regard to where the hostages are, which is horrible. It's a it's a terrible calculation that the Israeli government has to make. Um, but it's also why we don't let uh, terrified parents make these decisions. We we have elected leaders who make them. We we um we should understand Hamas, uh, the way that uh, with respect to Israel, the way that we went after ISIS uh, and Al Qaeda post nine eleven uh, in America. I mean that's that's essentially the uh, analog, right? That's exactly yeah. That's exactly right. The, the, all the things that you saw ISIS doing, Hamas just Hamas landed paragliders in the middle of. Uh, a rave for peace and opened fire on hundreds of young Israelis and people from other countries who were there to celebrate peace. There was peace activists among them. They don't care. They just want dead Jews. And they opened fire and they, they probably 50 of the hostages came uh, mostly young women from, from that uh, music festival. Uh, and the, it's the videos from there are awful. If any of you have seen them and the you know, hundreds of dead bodies, they went house to house, in, in uh, the communities that surround the Gaza Strip, uh, murdering everybody that they could, hunting Jews in their own homes, uh, murdering men, children, decapitating babies. This is, uh, there, there is no peace to be had with people like this. And uh, another thing I would just remind people, when they see the devastation in Gaza, and there are going to be innocent civilians who are killed in Gaza, and it's awful. And the devastation you're gonna see out of Gaza is awful. But, the reason that it's going to exist is because Hamas hides behind those people. If they want to come out and fight like men, let them. But they're not going to. They're going to hide behind little kids. And Israel's not, this time Israel's not going to let those little kids get in the way. And, it, and the, the moral responsibility for those deaths will fall entirely on Hamas. So when you see things like that, remember, the Hamas military headquarters is in the basement of the hospital in Gaza City. They put it there because they don't think that the Israelis will destroy that hospital. And so far they've been right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, the, the sort of now is, the, you know, what now is the time for and what it is not. The cultural response is important, too. 
And I just have to say, I want to get your reaction to, you know, Jonathan uh, Greenblatt at ADL uh, yeah. and, and others, Larry Summers, uh, former Harvard University president, uh, also a Jewish gentleman. Uh, all call, where are the Fortune 500 CEOs? Where are the university presidents? Where are the BLM chapter heads uh, condemning Hamas? And, you know, part of my reaction to that is, yeah, okay, fair enough. This highlights the reality that bubbles just below the surface when it comes to anti-Semitism and who's captured which uh, institutions in the West, corporate America, universities and so forth. But the other my other reaction is, you know, with due respect, ADL, uh, Harvard, Ivy League. Uh, isn't this um, a little contrived? You enabled the BDS movement on yeah. campus for the last 30 years. You're willfully blind to bigoted professors. You make alliances with violent Leninists, and then you're going to say, where are they? You know better. Yeah. Yeah, so the um, the the rule that I apply, I call the Warsaw Ghetto uh, rule, and, and that is uh, – uh, you're allowed to be wrong, right? Especially people in the Jewish community are, are wrong on the issue of Israel all the time. And uh, so you're allowed to be wrong. You're even allowed to be painfully wrong. Uh, the rule that I apply is, um, if we were fighting together in the Warsaw Ghetto against the Nazis, do I believe that you would be fighting with me? And would I trust you with my plans? Uh, and so someone like a Jonathan Greenblatt, who I think is often wrong and has done everything that you just said, you're absolutely right. Do I believe that in that situation he would be fighting with me? And would I trust him with my plans? Would I trust him in my bunker? And the answer for Jonathan, at least, is yes. Uh, for lots of other people, it's no. And uh, I, you know, I think those people uh, need to be shamed for what they've done and, and what they've said. And a lot of them, by the way, realize that it's too late for them to come back. A lot of the Bernie supporters and, that I follow on Twitter, a lot of the, the more egregious anti-Israel crowd, they realize that it's too late for them to come back. And so they're doubling down on support for uh, for Hamas and for the Palestinian national movement. And it's disgusting. And I, I'm assuming you saw the tweet from BLM Chicago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. Yeah. So uh, if anybody didn't see it, it's a, it's a, you know, we stand with Palestine, but it's a picture of a, a, a person parachuting somewhere. And of course, as I referenced earlier, that, that music festival was attacked by people from paragliders. So it's a clear reference to, to people attacking, again, a peace celebration, a rave focused on peace. BLM Chicago is celebrating the deaths of 260 Israeli and other nationalities. Kids, these are kids, uh, and many of them were taken hostage, and BLM Chicago is celebrating it. Listen, I think people are telling us who they are right now. People are telling us who they are, and we need to listen. He is Jonathan Greenberg, former Midwest political director at the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, a writer on Jewish issues and Middle East policy, ordained rabbi, and now an advisor to a private charitable family foundation. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Former President Trump uh, gave a pre-response to the statements that President Biden made yesterday. 
uh, the big guy uh, responding to the terrorist attack against Israelis in Gaza by Hamas over the weekend yesterday saying we stand with Israel. But um, again, does the rhetoric match the record? President Trump didn't think so. When I was your president, we had peace through strength. And now we have weakness, conflict, and chaos. The atrocities we're witnessing in Israel would never have happened if I was president. Would never have ever happened. When I was commander-in-chief, we reduced the Iranian economy, and I withdrew from the disastrous Iran nuclear deal, imposed the toughest ever sanctions on the regime, and imposed a strict travel ban to keep radical Islamic terrorists the hell out of our country. Now they're pouring into our country. They're pouring into our country. Joe Biden undid it. He undid it all and gave billions and billions of dollars to the world's top sponsor of terror, tossing Israel to the bloodthirsty terrorists and jihadists. You saw that? Yeah, we did see that. And um, as we we heard in the exchange between Brett Baer and John Kirby, the uh, oil exports that Iran is realizing, the money from oil exports it's realizing, which is, Gone up at a 45-degree angle over the last 24 months. Billions of dollars. For more on this, please be joined by Steve Moore, economist, uh, Govzilla author. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hi. Good morning, guys. Uh, We mentioned it a bit before, but uh, that phrase that Kirby used in the exchange with Brett Baer, trying to explain how uh, Iranian oil exports went from about $7 billion a couple of years ago to $30 billion last year, and said, well, you know, supply and demand need to balance. Supply and demand <laughs> in the world oil markets need to balance. Right. right. Well, look, this is uh, um, almost criminally negligent what's happened with this crazy um, climate change policy of Biden, which is basically to declare war on American oil and gas uh, production. And so we're producing, uh, in fact, we just did an analysis of this. We're, we are now producing about two or three million barrels fewer than we would be with the Trump drill baby drill strategy. And that two to three million bar- barrels a day, that's a hundred. We're losing about one hundred and fifty to two hundred million dollars every day in terms of output. But where has that all gone? Well, guess what? We have we have uh, basically empowered uh, financially Russia. <laughs> that was the first stupid thing. We we gave this money essentially to Putin because uh, obviously Russia is a major oil and gas producer. And so that's helped finance the war in um, in uh, Ukraine. And then, of course, uh, what were those numbers for Iran? I hadn't heard those numbers. They're yeah, about, oh, yeah. That's, it's like a 4x increase over the last uh, That's unbelievable. Months. I yeah. mean. This is we look, we know how the terrorists like Hamas get their money. It's not it's no secret. They don't they don't have any economy, Hamas. They get the money from the oil revenues from the Middle Eastern countries, specifically Iran. And so effectively, what Biden has done is 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 put money into the hands of these brutal terrorists. It's, it's disgraceful, actually. Yeah. So Democrats are starting to feel the pain of their own policies that they've put in place. But let's get to President Biden. I mean, he. He took a half day on Sunday, then another half day on Monday, and finally came out. Uh, did his words resonate with you yesterday? You mean that it took him so long to make this statement? Yeah. Well, then his final statement, too. Well, listen, uh, how, do you, how do you explain what's going on here? I mean, you played that clip uh, from Trump, and whether you like Trump or not, what, what he said in that statement was absolutely 100% true. 
We didn't have terrorist incidents like this when he was president. We got tough with Iran. He did pull us out of these crazy agreements with Iran that would have empowered them. And that was a very positive thing for the U.S. economy. Look, how many times have I said on this show over the last couple of years that what we're doing with respect to our oil policy is not just bad for our economy, but it's putting our security in danger. And that's exactly what's happened here. Uh, with respect to our economy, an interesting piece from Marla Lewis over at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He's an environmental policy dude. Um, yeah, talking, uh, talking about uh, the um, White House Council on Environmental Quality, uh, he gave a statement before this, you know, one of these star chamber boards that, uh, uh, yeah. uh, that oversees the rulemaking at EPA and stuff. And he's basically, he's basically saying this, this um, uh, proposed rule to the n- revision to the National Environmental Policy Act um, aligns uh, policymaking in the direction of Biden's pledge under the Paris Climate Treaty to, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, get to net zero by 2050. So they're sort of, again, uh, moving through the administrative state what they can't move through Congress, particularly with Republicans in control of the House. So there's a great report uh, put, just put out a few weeks ago by my friends at the Institute for Energy Research, and they found that there are they've listed. You can go to that report and you can find a hundred different policies that Biden has put in place that have been, uh, you know, reduced American oil and gas production. And you know, it's what, do you guys remember what the first act of the president was when Biden came into office? Kill, kill the Keystone. Yeah, he killed the Keystone Pipeline. You think he was sending a signal that he's he's deadly? And by the way, we have ourselves to blame here. We, we because Joe Biden said he told us in the debates against Trump, "I'm going to destroy the American oil and gas industry." He, remember, Dan and Amy, he said that, yeah. and yet people still voted for him. I mean, Illinois voted for a guy who said, "I'm going to destroy one of America's great and, and strategically important industries." And well, so yeah. that's what a lot of I mean, union why, members why of Wisconsin would... got laid off that day. They're like, well, we just voted exactly. for him. Well, we don't need the oil and gas. We, we, like, we don't oh, need, we don't need oil and gas here because we've got uh, Chinese communist backed uh, electric battery <laughs> facilities. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. You can, really, folks, you cannot make up the stupidity uh, of this energy policy. It is it. We should be producing every single barrel of oil we can. Because you want to stop these terrorist incidents, you want to get uh, Putin out of uh, Ukraine, <laughs> let's take their money away from them. And the way to do that is to produce as much oil and gas as we can. We should be producing a lot more. I just wrote a piece for FoxNews.com on this. I mean, and you look at the numbers, and the one number I had not seen, I've got to look this up, Dan, is how much Iran's oil exports are up. Because we know there's a pipeline from Iran right to these terrorist networks. We know that that's how they get their money. I wanted to uh, get your reaction to the seemingly irrepressible jobs market uh, and uh, what that means uh, against the backdrop of more and more suggesting that we're looking at a recession, perhaps a steep one, end of this year, beginning of next. Well, I'm not going to predict a recession, um, you know, because a lot of economists predicted a recession at the beginning of this year and we you know the economy's done you know pretty well this year um but there's always that worry and if you look at this jobs report it was you know there was a lot of good news in it but there was a lot of worrisome news for example 
Did you know that full-time employment is actually down in the last couple of months? The number of Americans that are full-time full, full employed. So more and more of these jobs that are being created are part-time jobs. And there's that old joke, you know, about how, yeah, I know the jobs market is good. I know there are a lot of jobs out there because I have three of them. Right. You know, so more and more Americans are having to work, you know, two jobs to make a living. Uh, the other thing that's going on right now is, you know, with these interest rate increases that we've seen, we've the Fed has raised interest rates 11 times now, and they may do it again. Although this this new curveball of the uh, of what's happened in, in in Israel could change everything here. But <laughs> let me give you a statistic that'll just blow you away. When Trump left office, the mortgage interest rate was 2.9 percent. Today, it's 7.5. That means for a, a average medium uh, home, if you buy a, a you know say a five hundred thousand dollar home, your mortgage payments are going to almost double from like two thousand to four thousand dollars a month. So that's inflation. You know, I love this idea. Oh, inflation's going down. It is. I don't see it. I don't see it at the grocery store. I don't see it at mortgage rates. I don't see it anywhere. So well, and and also and also what it does across the board, houses as well as as uh, foodstuffs, it, it just greatly diminishes your purchasing power, what you can actually buy. So, so that's what people need of to understand. Yeah. By the way, Dan, there's another story I, I, wa- I was saving for you and Amy uh, because I knew you'd love this story. So because, have you heard about the fact that because of the you know turmoil in the House, we don't have a Speaker of the House, and Lord knows when we're going to get one, uh, that the uh, uh, appropriators, the Republican appropriators are saying, okay, that means with McCarthy's out, the deal's off, and we can spend whatever we want. These are Republicans. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's an old saying: there's three parties in Washington: Republicans, Democrats, and appropriators. And so they want, they don't want to cut the spending, <laughs> even though we're running a two trillion dollar deficit. We we know that Biden doesn't want to cut spending. We know that that uh, Chucky e. Schumer doesn't want to cut spending. Now the Republicans in the House don't want to cut spending. Yeah, well, we have to keep spending to prevent from going bankrupt, as uh, Joe Biden famously <laughs> said. You know that. That's how it works. Exactly. How's that working out for you, folks? I uh, mean, so are we in a precarious position today? Yes. And it circles back to the start of this conversation that these are self-inflicted wounds. We just should have stuck with the policies that were working. Steve Moore, economist, Govzilla author. Steve, thanks as always. Okay, guys, have a great week. Take care. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day. Then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The cultural response to the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel is instructive about culture in the West. In, 21st, in the 21st century. Uh, let me give you an example. I mean, you saw it in Chicago with the rally for Hamas, effectively, uh, downtown uh, before the Israeli consulate. Yeah, and hundreds of people were there. Uh, you also saw it, uh, and this was has been remarked upon by many, but it bears uh, rehearing because it is so stark. The... Uh, protest slash rally outside the Opera House in Sydney, Australia. (laughs) 
F the Jews, gas the Jews. That's what uh, hundreds of people were chanting, waving Palestinian flags. Gas the Jews. At Harvard, they were calling the Jewish people Nazis and white supremacists. So uh, one of the most important observations of the last hundred years for me, I've mentioned it before, uh, and it has incredible salience. It has uh, ever since she wrote it uh, in Mystery and Manners. Flannery O'Connor's observation about tenderness. But it's it's more than what you just hear. Tenderness leads to the gas chamber. That's always an excerpt of it. You don't get the full picture. The The more complete contextual quote is this. If other ages felt less, they saw more. Even though they saw with the blind, prophetical, unsentimental eye of acceptance, which is to say of faith. In this, in the absence of this faith now, she was writing almost 100 years ago, in the absence of this faith now, we govern by tenderness. It is a tenderness which, long cut off from the person of Christ, is wrapped in theory. When tenderness is detached from the source of tenderness, its logical outcome is terror. It ends in forced labor camps and in the fumes of the gas chamber. Tenderness cut off from its source, the person of Christ. Another way to put it in secular terms, uh, Chris Rufo, writing about our culture uh, over at uh, his Substack, Chris Rufo from the Manhattan Institute, Today we're witnessing the emergence of uh, something new, the Cluster B Society. Like the culture of narcissism, our digital age has distinct psychological traits, heavily influenced by the rise of personal pathologies and the power of social media. For this generation, the cameras are always on. The audience is always watching. And the old narcissism has transformed into hysteria, moral theatrics, emotional volatility, self-indulgence, and outbursts of violence. Psychologists have captured the spirit of our modern culture and four specific psychopathologies that together make up the cluster B personality disorders, the narcissist, the borderline, the histrionic, and the antisocial. And, um, and now they're members of Congress and other elected bodies. Not to mention um, Fortune 500 CEOs and university presidents and so forth. For more on all this, we're pleased to be joined again by Daniel Mahoney, who's a professor of politics at Assumption College and author of The Statesman as Thinker, Portraits of Greatness, Courage, and Moderation. Professor Mahoney, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure to join you again. Um, So, um, you know, I I read your essay about truth and politics and radical relativism, and I couldn't help but think of uh, Flannery O'Connor. I mean, is that a fair description of where you think we're at now governing by detached tenderness yes i do and uh, one, one thing i had tried to do in my piece which i uh, began as a talk to the a few weeks ago to the fellowship of catholic scholars in washington dc was to highlight one of the great and terrible paradoxes of our age which is that radical relativism um, a denial, you might say, of the any ground or source for truth. Now that can be, uh, you know, from from Revelation, as uh, Flannery O'Connor um, 
discusses in her uh, essay that you referred to in Mystery and Manners, or it can be natural law, or it could be the Decalogue, it could be some some firm source for moral judgment that provides guidance for how individuals and political communities ought to live. And uh, one of the paradoxes, I think, of our age is that um, uh, our, certainly our intellectual class and more and more of the, the, the sort of fevered activists and partisans, they combine um, a denial of any ground of, of truth or, or moral judgment with uh, some of those very things that Christopher Rufo was talking about, uh, moralistic indignation, hysteria, fanaticism. I don't know if we have to exactly resort to psychological theory, I think. Yeah. What I try to do in my piece show is that um, uh, human beings are moral animals, and uh, and the great tradition of the West always affirmed that moral judgments were not arbitrary, but they could be adjudicated before the what I call the tribunal of reason, but when you deny that, the moral passions, the more uh, the necessity and reality of moral judgment doesn't go away. Sort of goes underground and it comes back up as uh, fanaticism and indignation. We saw that with Marxism, which was officially, uh, you know, denied any moral ground of uh, intellectual ground, moral ground for truth, and yet was just marked by anger and indignation uh, from beginning to end. I think we see that with wokery. We certainly see this with the response to, I mean, uh, what what happened in Israel over the weekend, uh, just the most brutal, savage nihilism, and the fact that a large part of our uh, activists and intellectual class and political class in, in some cases responds either with the weakest form of moral equivalence, or what we saw in front of the Sydney Opera House, just the celebration of barbarism and 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 murder, and uh, you know it, it's a very revealing moment. I don't I don't think we've had as revealing a moment since the summer of 2020 when so much so many intellectuals and politicians celebrated lawlessness and a sort of frontal assault on the very idea of America. But these are revealing, these are revealing moments. They really show us where we are. And uh, a friend of mine, Jacob Howland, you may have seen his article at uh, Powerline yesterday, uh, Harvard is a disgrace. The fact that so many student organizations at Harvard could celebrate Mm. uh, murderous, nihilistic assault on innocence and yeah, but, really come yes go ahead. well but what now i mean a lot of uh jewish americans are democrats and i think that this is a wake-up call especially for those who have blm signs on their front yards in chicago yeah well this is a this is a big problem for the jewish community because um you know you compare the the jewish reaction to let's say the yom kippur war in 1973 where almost all american jews rallied to uh the state of israel in 67 with the six day war uh the difference today i think is as several people have pointed out the memory of the holocaust for the younger generations is uh less real less grounded less existential and, you know, a large part of the Jewish community, especially the young, 
uh, have bought into the uh, you know the politics of liberation, uh, the you know sort of progressivist ideology, and the problem is if you accept the entire woke critique of the Western world, see the United States, you know, a comparatively decent and free society as the you know the center of evil in the modern world, a part of a Part of that whole syndrome, you know, that set of beliefs, that that moral indignation I referred to earlier, includes the idea that Israel is an apartheid state, indistinguishable, at best from South Africa before 1990, and maybe even the new instantiation of Nazi Germany in the contemporary. It's it's insane, but that's what the hard left believes, and. A lot of uh, you know radical young Jews have to decide: Are they going to reconsider that ideology in light of experience, or are they going to choose uh, the politics of uh, revolutionary indignation over fidelity to their own people? And um, and yes, it's a really interesting question: Why 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 Jewish Americans so overwhelmingly vote outside of the uh, the Orthodox community, the Hasidic Jews, etc., they vote all overwhelmingly for a Democratic Party, which is, you know, I saw a headline the other day when Dianne Feinstein uh, died, uh, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, a piece about how with her death, the pro-Israel caucus within the Democratic Party in the Senate is at risk. That's amazing. No one would have said 15 years ago the thought that uh, uh, half of the Democratic Party in the U.S. Senate would be anti-Israel or at best tepid about an American alliance with Israel. But that's where we are. Well, that poison is uh, afoot in the Catholic Church, too, uh, speaking as one. I mean, it's uh, the social justice Catholics are uh, uh, have fallen prey to sort of the, the same uh, siren songs that you're describing. And and and, uh, and also, too, I mean, you know, the secularists will respond to uh, this discussion by saying, well, what you saw with the uh, terrorist attack in Gaza is religious fanaticism and what we really need to guard against is you know this sort of the libertarian type, is uh is the religious fanaticism because that so it's, it's all the uh, re, uh religious inspired faith inspired violence how would you respond to that well first of all uh, you know machiavelli way back in his prince in 1513 denounces something called pious cruelty and over three centuries the inquisition killed three thousand people in the 20th century, atheistic regimes killed over a million, 100 million people at the service of their political or secular religions, which were far more cruel and fanatical than traditional religion. And I would say the problem is, is not religion per se. I don't even know if religion per se exists. The problem with a group like Hamas is a mixture of Islamism the most fundamentalist and and fanatical reading of the Quran and the Hadith. There's other ways of reading it, but they that's how they read it, and they combine that really with secular ideology, yeah. with uh, a, a kind of uh, totalitarian politics. So, I think it's just silly to say, oh, it's, it's religion's fault. And uh, and look, what kind of uh, you know what what kind of religion posits that the death of innocence is somehow in accord with uh you know the requirements of how god-fearing human beings ought to exist uh so i think we're dealing with something very particular which is a mix of secular and religious fanaticism but to say well that that 
that means we have to condemn Christianity and Judaism and Buddhism and too. Uh, it's just silly. There's a there is a very pronounced form of secular, uh, deep seated, you know, anti religious feeling among the intellectual class and. Uh, uh, really, it's, you know, would we would we be better off as a world or civilization if uh, if uh, you know the sense of the sacred? The, I think one of the most important things about religion is the sense of restraint. Yes, the sense that not every, you know, as Dostoevsky says, if there's no God, everything is permitted. The fact that some fanatics manipulate religion or certain religious traditions. To justify, you know, the most godless and unacceptable deeds is uh, um, says more, I think, about uh, the imperfections of human nature than about the the intrinsic evil of religion. I want to put that this question to you that I put to a Brian Birch, a Catholic vote, uh, in a conversation I had with him for my podcast, which is, can America continue to be free if it continues to grow increasingly anti-Christian and anti-Judaism? I don't mean is secular. I mean, anti-Christian and anti-Judaism, which is the path it's on right now, including within those uh, faith communities. You know, you may remember uh, the uh, the the rousing final words of the first section of C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man, where he said, you know, we castrate and give the, uh, bid the gelding be fruitful. We uh, we we mock. Uh, uh, honor and wonder why there are traitors in our midst. Yeah, I don't. I think in the long run, no. I mean, I I just don't think a decent society is possible without some principled affirmation of the enduring perennial distinction between truth and falsehood and right and wrong. And whether we like it or not, as George Washington said in his farewell address, maybe maybe a few exceptional minds can hold on to those enduring distinctions and not be religious believers, but for a society as a whole, a sense of transcendence, a sense of looking up to what's enduring and true, which is so so tied to, so integral to religion, seems to me indispensable for a decent society. And, uh, uh, you know, I always used to tell my students, so, you know, something happened between the mid-60s and the mid-70s in America. It was the beginning of this collapse of authority and weakening of religious and moral affirmation. You could see the response to the, uh, I think it was 1964-65, when the lights went out in New York City, and then again in 77. In 64-65, we had a lot of babies born nine months later. And in 77, we saw mass looting in New York City. <laughs> that's, and, a really, and, yeah, uh, that's a really interesting yeah, dichotomy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was uh, that inner that inner check, that sense of limits and restraint and uh, obligation. But at a minimum, no society can live without some uh, understanding of of the truths that let's say undergird the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and uh, how you, uh, the the thought that you're going to have a a people, a free people, that is capable of exercising self-restraint, being public spirited, caring about truth, eschewing evil, and doing the good when they're either indifferent to truth or out and out relativists 
is just, I think it's just impossible to fathom how that could be. And, you know, as I said earlier, when I tried to do it, my truth and politics to paces, so it's, it's really worse than that because um, when our when our moral needs, our moral capacities do not gain any kind of official recognition, they're not going to go away. They're going to come. You know, we have a lot of moral indignation today, and the clips you, you broadcast for your listeners are a perfect illustration of that. And uh, that moralistic intensity is deeply immoral, but it's, uh, it's uh, the, the result of not of rejecting those standards, those affirmations, those, those truths that inform and I would say discipline moral judgment. Being angry, like a lot of my college students are all the time, is hardly a moral stance. You know, uh, the, the, the great Catholic ph- uh, philosopher, theologian, uh, Pascal, said, uh, our first moral obligation is to think well. You know, <laughs> these people are not thinking well. You know, these, these people are permanently angry and burning things down and celebrating killing and, uh, and uh, co- you know, confusing. There's a lot of moral and intellectual confusion. Indeed. Professor Daniel Mahoney, professor of politics at Assumption College, author of The Statesman as Thinker, Portraits of Greatness, Courage, and Moderation. Professor Mahoney, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Uh, Great to be with you both again. Thanks so much. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.